This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. We're going to be playing our very best story of a song, because we've done so many. And heck, every once in a while, we take some time off, and we put together our very best shows for you. And the audience, you have spoken. You love these stories. And by the way, the first one is a great one. And it has to do with the making of Gimme Shelter off of a Let It Bleed album in 1969 from the Rolling Stones. And by the way, this is a really interesting song because one of our favorite directors, Martin Scorsese, used this song three times in three different movies. I guess I can say that in many ways, whatever I I do with movies and in movies began with listening to the Rolling Stones and the way that their music interacted with the world that was around me. Their songs sort of sparked sensations and images that stayed with me and that grew and changed. And that's why I wound up putting so many of their songs into my pictures over the years. In fact, my films would be unthinkable, really, without them. Mick Jagger recently said, uh, Shine a Light was the first movie I made that does not have Gimme Shelter in it. But believe me, it wasn't for lack of trying. And it, and it wasn't, I'm sure. They just didn't play it. A Rolling Stone writer said of Gimme Shelter, by the way, the band has never done anything better. And I think that's true. So let's move ahead now to the, to the backup singer, Mary Clayton. The song was originally recorded out at Olympic Studios in London in 1969, but the Stones were stuck, and they were in a studio in Los Angeles, and, well, the song needed something more. And a singer got called, a local girl living in L.A., Mary Clayton. And let's take the story from there. What a great studio. Boy, did we have some time in this studio. So it was like very late at night, and I was very, you know, a little pregnant. Had curlers and the whole thing in my head, getting ready to go to bed. And we got a call, Mary. It's a group of guys in town called Rolling, the Rolling Somebodies. And they're from England, and they need somebody that will sing with them. They picked me up with silk pajamas on, a mink coat, and a Chanel scarf on my head. We said it would be wonderful if a woman sang this part about that I'd written about rape, murder, and all this. It was in the middle of the night, and, and, and we thought well, we would love to have a woman sing this part. I didn't know her, and from Adam. Then she turned up in her curler, she was in bed, and she got out of bed. And, you know, it was a kind of raunchy part to sing. I said, what? Rape, murder, it's just a shot away. I started to sing, oh, it's a shot away, it's a shot away, with Mick. She sings the lyrics right along me, and with a lot of personality, which is what was needed. What I liked was that she could sing. She was able to be married. She didn't have to bring it down. I said, you want to do another one? I said, sure, I'll do another one. I mean, she just did it like a couple of times, you know. So I said to myself, "Mm mm-hmm, I'm going to do another one. I'm going to blow them out of this room. (laughs) I went in again, and I did that pass on the the part that says, uh, Ray Murdoch, just a shot away. So I had to go up another octave. It's just a shot away. It's just a shot away. Rain. 
You know, you do these things at sort of two in the morning and then you come in the next day and you go, bloody hell, that's good. Yeah. I don't hear a hand clap. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The hair is standing up on our arms. That is just one heck of a vocal performance. And just imagine it. This total stranger walks into a studio in the middle of the night, silk pajamas, hair up in rollers, fancy scarf. And by the way, Jagger doesn't know her from Adam. And she lays down one of the greatest vocal tracks in rock and roll history. The story of Gimme Shelter, Mary Clayton's story too, here on the story of a song and our American story. Continue with our 
story of a song, Special Celebration, we're putting together some of our very best stories of a song that we've done over the past, well, since this show began. And the story of this song is the story of the Doors' Light My Fire. And it may be their signature song. There might be a couple of others that are right up there, but this, I think, is the big one. And of course, it was recorded in 1966, released in 1967, and their self-titled debut album. And here's Ray Manzarek, founding member of The Doors and keyboardist, talking about the moment when Robbie Krieger came to him with the idea for Light My Fire. So the way we would work on songs is somebody would bring a song in and then everyone would go to work on it. It would be like little bees just or little things spinning and working and weaving. So Robbie came in with a song. He said, I got a new song called Light My Fire, the first song Robbie Krieger ever wrote. What a genius he is. He's just the greatest guy, great guitar player and great songwriter. I've got a song called Light My Fire. So he plays the song for us. And it's kind of a Sonny and Cher kind of dun, da, dun, 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 Light my fire. And it's like, uh, okay, okay. Good chord change. What are the chord changes there? And he shows me an A minor to an F sharp minor. And that's like, whoa, that's hip. That's cool. And then, and that's when he went into the Sonny and Cher part. <laughs> No, 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 no. We're not going to do a Sonny and Cher kind of song here, man. And that was popular at the time. It was popular at the time, by the way. But Jim Morrison doesn't do Sonny and Cher. Manzarek tells us how the drummer, John Densmore, influenced the song by introducing a Latin beat while Morrison helped complete the haunting lyrics. Densmore says, look, we got to do a Latin kind of beat here. Let's do something in kind of a Latin groove. And I'm doing this left hand line. So John's doing and and we set up this Latin groove and then go into a hard rock four. And Robbie's only got a, a one verse. He needs a second verse. And Morrison says, okay, let me think about it for a second. And Jim comes up with the uh, with the classic line, and our love becomes a funeral pyre. You know, you know that it would be untrue. You know that I would be a liar if I were to say to you, girl, we couldn't get much higher as Robbie's. And Jim comes, the time to hesitate is through. In other words, seize the moment, seize the spiritual LSD moment. The time to hesitate is through. No time to wallow in the mire. Try now. We can only lose. Whoa, that's kind of heavy. Try now. We can only lose, meaning the worst thing that can happen to you is death. And our love becomes a funeral pyre. Our love is consumed in the fires of agony. And it's like, God, Jim, what a great, great verse, man. Yep. Manzara goes on to show us how the piano rhythm in this song is lifted from another source, John Coltrane's My Favorite Things. So we've got verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and then it's time for solo. So anyway, the verse, the verse goes, time to hit and do dead. You know how that goes. You've heard it a million times. And then into the chorus, come on, baby, light my fire. So 
So uh, it's time then for some solos. We've done a verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Now what do we do? We've got to play some solos. We've got to stretch out. Here's where John Coltrane comes in. Here's where the Doors jazz background. John's a jazz drummer. I'm a jazz piano player. Robbie's a flamenco guitar player. And we all said, you know, we're in A minor. Let's see. What do we do? Da, 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 da. It, it, it ends up on an E. So how about... My favorite things, John Coltrane. It's my favorite things, except Coltrane's doing it in D minor. But the left hand is exactly the same thing. It's in three. One, two, three, one, two, three. A minor, uh, uh, the doors light my fire, is in four. We're going from A minor to B minor. Manzara continues his breakdown of Light My Fire, describing how the solos are layered over the rhythm and how the song circles back to its own beginning. So it's the same thing as... And that's how the solo comes about. And then we just go... So it's John Coltrane's My Favorite Things and uh, Coltrane's Ole Coltrane. And then, uh, that's the chord structure. Then I would solo over it. Robbie would solo over it. And at the end of our two solos, we'd go into a, a three against four. And I'm keeping the left hand going exactly as it goes. That hasn't changed. That's the four. On top of it is three. And into the turnaround. And we're back at verse one and verse two. We're back into our Latin groove. So it's basically a jazz structure. It's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, state the theme, take a long solo, come back to stating the theme again. And that's how Light My Fire came about. And by the way, when I listen to a lot of young bands messing around in the studio, and I know they don't know any of this, I tell them to go practice and listen and then pick up a, an instrument again. Because so many young bands don't know any of this. And they actually can't even move from A minor to major chord. They don't even know chords. They just don't know anything. That was one of the points Billy Joel made in his, in his lesson on musicianship. And my goodness, this is mastery. And it turns into something very simple in this, in this very complicated piece of work, actually, by the, by the doors. And here's Manzarek talking about how the final thing left to do was to write that famous introduction to the song, You Gotta Hook em. He says Bach was the inspiration. The only thing left to do was to come up with that little turnaround thing. I hadn't had that yet. And we said, now, how do we start the song? Do we just jump on an A minor to an F sharp? We, you know, we're going to do that, so vamp a little bit? I said, no, 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 we need something more. We can't just vamp a little bit. And I started this. I put my Bach, Bach back to work, put my Bach hat on, and came up with a circle of fifths. So I started like this. Yeah. like a Bach thing like so same kind of thing yeah 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 
B-flat, I'm on, so I'm in G, D, F, up to B-flat, E-flat, A-flat, to the A, to A major, A major, yeah, that's it. And then we'll go to the A minor, I'm thinking all this to myself. So that's how the introduction came about. F, B-flat, E-flat, A-flat, A, and the drums and everything. Jim comes in singing. And the Latin-esque, and then into hard rock, so... That's how Light My Fire goes. That's wow. a creation of Light My That's Fire. That's just fantastic. Ray Manzarek played the song's bass line with his left hand on a Fender Rhodes piano bass while performing the other keyboard parts on a Vox Continental using his right hand. The single was certified gold by the RIAA in 67 for one million units shipped. Rolling Stone ranks it as number 35 on the all-time top 500 songs. This is Lee Habib. This is Our American Stories, the making of Light My Fire. Let's take a listen. You know that it would be untrue. You know that I would be a liar if I was to say to you, girl, we Get much higher. Come on, baby, light my fire. Come on, baby, light my fire. Try to set the night on fire. The time you hesitate is through. The time you wallow in the mire. Try now, we can only lose. And our love become a funeral pyre. Come on, baby, light my fire Come on, baby, light my fire Try to set the night on fire Some say the song was written about a girl. Others say it was about a place, a state, the Peachtree State. The two men who know for sure can't answer that question because they're no longer alive. George On My Mind was written by Hoagie Carmichael and Stuart Gorell. Carmichael, one of Tin Pan Alley's most prolific writers, was born in Bloomington, Indiana in 1899. The son of a horse-drawn taxi driver and a mom who played piano for a living his family had a hard time making ends meet. The death of his baby sister Joanna in 1918 to influenza had a profound effect on Carmichael's life. Quote, We couldn't afford a good doctor or good attention, and that's when I vowed I would never be broke again in my lifetime. He never would be. Carmichael graduated from Indiana University and the law school there and joined an Indianapolis law firm. But his real talent 
and where he'd make a great living was coming up with melodies, some of the most memorable melodies in popular music history. American composer and author Alec Wilder described Carmichael as, quote, the most talented, inventive, sophisticated, and jazz-oriented of all the great craftsmen of pop songs in the first half century of the 20th century. Few people ever write one standard, but Carmichael wrote a bunch. Stardust, The Nearness of You, Skylark, In the Cool, Cool, Cool of the Evening, and of course, his most well-known composition, Georgia on My Mind. The lyricist was born in Knox, Indiana and went to school with Carmichael, and the two became friends. After hearing his pal play the fresh new melody at a party, Gorell pulled an all-nighter and ended up with the lyrics for the song. Gorell would become a banker. He never wrote another lyric in his life. Neither man ever lived in the state of Georgia. Carmichael did have a sister named Georgia. You can decide if the song was about a person or a place. Here is Carmichael's version of that song, recorded on September 15, 1930, with Carmichael on vocals and Eddie Lang on guitar. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through, just an old sweet song. Keeps Georgia on my mind Georgia on my mind Each day, Georgia A song of you Comes as sweet and clear as moonlight through the pines Other arms reach out to me Other eyes smile tenderly Still in peaceful dreams Others recorded the song. In 1931, saxophonist Frank Trambauer had a top ten hit with it in 1931. Indeed, he was the guy who suggested the song to Carmichael. Other versions followed, among them Louis Armstrong and Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks, but hits proved elusive. Quote, After rock and roll, I never even got a phone call from an A&R man about anything, Hoagie Carmichael told a writer at Downbeat Magazine. That song and Carmichael's entire catalog was a victim to changing tastes and changing musical styles. It would take Ray Charles to bring the song back to life. The rising star had just left Atlantic Records. He wanted more independence, more artistic control of his music, and higher royalties. More than that, he wanted his music to reach more people and more mainstream acceptance of his music at a time when albums was starting to outsell singles. The Genius Hits the Road was his first new record for his new record label, ABC Paramount. It was a 12-track theme album based on places in the United States, and Georgia on My Mind was tucked between Basin Street Blues, and that's the main street of Storyville in the Red Light District of New Orleans, and Alabama Bound. The song's lush orchestration, including strings, was unlike anything Charles had ever done before. Some thought it was a mistake 
this musical departure. Others thought Charles was selling out. The public disagreed. The song reached number one in November of 1960 and won his first four Grammys that year. He'd go on to win 17 and was nominated 37 times. He would go on to break musical barriers with his 1962 album, Modern Sounds of Country and Western. Other hits of Charles include I Can't Stop Loving You, Hit the Road Jack, and his duet with Willie Nelson, Seven Spanish Angels, which would rise to number one on the country charts in 1985. But it is Georgia on my mind that was his most memorable song. In 2003, Rolling Stone named the song the 44th greatest of all time. Was that song about an old love or a man longing for home? We'll never know. But Ray Charles had his own opinion. According to his 1978 autobiography, Brother Ray, neither a woman nor a state was on his mind when he recorded the song. Quote, I never known a lady named Georgia, and I wasn't dreaming of the state even though I was born there, Charles recalled. It was just a beautiful, romantic melody. That wouldn't stop the Georgia State Legislature from making Georgia on my mind the official state song. Governor George Busby signed it into law in 1979. It's a quintessentially American story, the story of Georgia on my mind. Two white Midwesterners write a song that a brilliant blind black man they never knew or met would bring to life many years later. It would change the lives of the writers and the singer forever and make the world a more beautiful place. There would be other covers of the song, Billie Holiday, Dean Martin, Eddie Arnold, Michael Bolton, Michael Buble, Ella Fitzgerald, Leon Russell, Jerry Garcia, Coldplay, The Righteous Brothers, James Brown, the Zac Brown Band, but one version stands out above the rest. At the time of his death, at the age of 73, on June 10, 2004, Ray Charles averaged 200 concerts a year. Georgia On My Mind was always the crowd favorite. Georgia Georgia The whole day through Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on my mind Said a Georgia, Georgia, a song of you comes as sweet and clear as moonlight through the pines. Other arms reach out to me Other eyes smile tenderly Still in the peaceful dreams I see The road leads back to you I said, Georgia Georgia No peace I find 
just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on my mind And there you have it, the story of a song, and that's the power of music, folks. It transcends time, place, and even race. The story of a song, Georgia on my mind, here on Our American Stories. Still in peaceful dreams I see the road leads back to you. Whoa. Hanging out on the coast, oh well, those plans are long gone. And he said, There goes my life. There goes my future, my everything. Might as well kiss it all goodbye. There goes my life. And you're listening to Kenny Chesney singing There Goes My Life. It changed his life, for sure. Catapulted his career. This song raced to the top of the charts. And on this show, we love music. I think it was Aquinas who said, when we sing, we pray twice. And there's nothing like it. Shut up, just listen. We're going to do the story behind the story of this song, and we've done it for a few others. Gimme Shelter, what a story that is. Another Brick in the Wall, and we did it for Light My Fire. And this song, There Goes My Life, has quite a a story behind it. Songwriter Neil Thrasher thought he knew everything about his best friend, fellow writer Wendell Mobley. And this is from Country Weekly. But as he pitched a song idea to Wendell... Neil would tap into a tender, secret corner of his friend's life where an anguished memory had been bottled up for 19 years. We were writing together, Neil begins, and I came out on the front porch and said, why don't we write about a teenage boy who got his girlfriend pregnant, but they hung in there. I'd even had the words, there goes my life, in my notebook for over a year. At that point, Wendell softly spoke up. He tearfully told Neil about a daughter that he fathered while he was still in high school. My daughter's name was Lexi, Wendell explained to me. We lost her when she was a year old. Her birthday is March 17th. So these good friends didn't know this until this moment. Though he had been Neil's friends for years, Wendell had never shared this part of his life. Quote, I've been getting kind of funky around her birthday, wondering what she'd be like now. Wendell confesses with a crack in his voice. Neil brought this song idea up at the right time. The revelation rocked Neil to the core. I had no idea about Wendell's past when we started writing that first verse on the porch, says Neil, who's the father of two young daughters himself. I've got to tell you, being friends with Wendell as long as I had been and finding out something like that, man. Neil's voice trails off after that, overcome by the emotional impact. He pauses for a moment to collect his thoughts. That just got all over me. I broke down in front of my wife. As the two began to dive into the song, the emotions poured out like water. We cried and wrote and sang and ate and cried and wrote and sang and ate. 
says Neil with a tension-releasing laugh. There wasn't any stopping. It was almost like therapy, writing it with someone so close to me. Kenny Chesney recorded that powerful tune about an initially reluctant father watching his daughter grow up from infancy to adulthood with a decided change of emotions along the way. The single took off with rocket speed, hitting number one after just a few weeks. But beyond its chart success, There Goes My Life has wielded a far-reaching impact. Neil and Wendell have heard countless stories of estranged fathers and daughters actually reuniting, all because of their song. And of course, it changed for so many people. The whole idea of carrying a child to birth that otherwise they may not have wanted to. Right after we were done writing that song, Wendell remembers, Neil and I talked about how this was a perfect marriage between personal and universal storytelling. It's these kinds of stories when you know it's happening all over that is really so rewarding to hear. So I wanted to take you to an ASCAP songwriters conference in Boston. And I love these ASCAP songwriters conferences and you hear us play them. Wendell was there and so was Kenny Chesney. And here's Kenny giving props and respect to the writer and the man whose song, whose story turned into this song. Let's take a listen to Kenny Chesney. I will tell you that when I, I remember the first time I heard this song and my producer, Buddy Cannon, uh, we were uh, not in his Cadillac, Craig, but we were in his truck. And he goes, I got, you got to hear something. And he played me this song. And I, the first words out of my mouth were, are you sure that we can record this song? Because I knew it was one of those songs that, that you just don't come across every day. You know, and it was a... Um, As a songwriter, this is the best bridge to any song I've ever heard. This bridge kills <laughs> that me. That kills me. I, so, I cry, I'll cry when he sings it. it freaks me out every time. So this, this song right here, I just want you guys to know... I think it might have was it, it might have been the first single off of the When the Sun Goes Down record. I it think. was, yeah. So, um, but I remember sitting in Buddy Cannon's truck, hearing this song, and it was just I, I couldn't believe that I was the guy that got to go out and sing this song every night for the rest of my life. And that's how much I love this song. Help me out, Kenny. And like Sinatra, who always thanked his writers. Uh, Kenny Chesney always, and all these country artists, always give props to the writers, because without the song, well, what do you have? And so at these great ASCAP conferences, the songwriter always gets to sing the first verse and chorus. And by the way, for my money, I like Wendell's version better. But you be the judge. Let's take a listen to Wendell Mobley. already a great song. Already. All he could see were his dreams going up in smoke. So much for ditch in this town hanging out on the coast. Oh, well. 
plans are long gone And he said And that spontaneous applause from the audience showing their appreciation to the writer and the writer, in the end, sharing his life with complete strangers. Let's take a listen to Kenny Chesney, who takes the second verse, hits that great bridge, and then takes it right out to the close. A couple of years I'm up on down and a few thousand diapers later That mistake you thought he made it Covers up the refrigerator, oh, yeah. And he loves that little girl. Mama waiting to tuck her in as she fumbled up the steps. She smiled back at him, dragging that teddy bear sleeve. Blue eyes and bouncing curls And he smiled There goes my life There goes my future My everything I love you, Daddy, good night There goes my Have a crown be clothes, fifteen pairs of shoes, and his American Express. He checked the old slam the hood, said you're good to go. She hugged them both and headed off to the West Coast. That first chorus, There Goes My Life, Resignation. Second chorus, There Goes My Life, Little Girl Running Up the Stairs. Third chorus, There Goes My Life, She's Out of Here. The house is empty. Absolutely beautiful. There goes my the story of the story behind the story of There Goes My Life. This is Lee Habib. This is Our American Stories. And great job to the whole crew here as always. There goes my 
Our American Stories, and you're listening to Dan Fogelberg's Same Old Ang Syne. And this is our Story of the Song segment. And we're not going to tell the story of this song, though it's a heck of a song. And we tell stories of songs that have a story themselves. And by the way, the opening lyrics of that song you just heard, Met my old lover in the grocery store. The snow was falling on Christmas Eve. You want to hear what happens, don't you? And we've all been there, too, meeting that person that we broke up with, that person we went to school with, maybe wanting to avoid, maybe wanting to see. In a canon of personal songs, leader of the band stands out as one of Dan Fogelberg's most treasured. The song, which originally appeared on the singer-songwriter's 1981 album, The Innocent Age, is Fogelberg's loving tribute to his musician father, Lawrence. Fogelberg wrote this in 2003 about his dad. He was a musician, an educator, and band leader. I was so gratified that I was able to give him that song before he passed on. Fogelberg's dad died in August of 1982, but not before this hit song made him a celebrity with numerous media interviewers interested in him as its inspiration. Here's Dan Fogelberg speaking about his hit single, Leader of the Band, in 1991. I think I could only have written one song in my life. It would have been leader of the band. Because what that meant to my father and to me, there's no way I could quantify that or even explain it. Um, my father passed away over 10 years ago now, and he, he got to hear that song. He got to see this, enjoy the success of that song. People were calling him on the phone and interviewing him in his last days. You know, who is this man, the leader of the band, you know? And he just, he loved that, and I loved that, because I, I respected him so much. I mean, he gave me everything I am, really. My mother and he were both musicians, and the idea of being a living legacy is really the truth. I don't think I'll ever be as accomplished a musician as he was, but um, I've had a different gift. It came to me in a different way. I've been able to reach and touch people with these songs that I write. And that one has probably touched more people more deeply than anything I've ever done. And by the way, don't we all want to have our sons and or daughters speak that way about us? And again, that's why we do these stories, folks, because you don't hear them anywhere else. Vogelberg's music was powerful in its simplicity. He didn't rely on the volume of his voice to convey his emotions. Instead, they came through in the soft, tender delivery and his amazing lyrics. Here, for example, is the chorus to leader of the band in which Fogelberg cherishes and aspires to someday possess the same love 
and musical ability as his dad. And these are from the song. This is the chorus. The leader of the band is tired and his eyes are growing old, but his blood runs through my instrument and his song is in my soul. My life has been a poor attempt to imitate the man. I'm just a living legacy to the leader of the band. Here's Dan Fogelberg's love letter to his father, Lawrence. And his heart was known to none He left his arm and went his lone And solitary way And he gave to me a gift I know I never can repay A quiet man of music Denied a simpler fate Tried to be a soldier once, but his music wouldn't wait. He earned his love through discipline, a thundering velvet hand. His gentle means of sculpting souls took me years to understand. The leader of the band is tired and his eyes are growing old. But his blood runs through my instrument And his song is in my soul My life has been a poor attempt To imitate the man I'm just a living legacy To the leader of the One went to Chicago and the other to St. Paul And I'm in Colorado when I'm not in some hotel Living out this life I've chose and come to know so well And the story of the song, Dan Fogelberg's tribute to his dad, Lawrence. The story of his song, Dan Fogelberg's story, his father's story, here on Our American Stories. I thank you for the music and your stories of the road. I thank you for the freedom when it came my time to go. Thank you for the kindness and the times when you got tough And Papa, I don't think I said I love you near enough The leader of the band is tired and his eyes are growing old But his blood runs through my instrument and his song is in my soul my life has been a poor attempt to imitate the man. I'm just a living. 
legacy to the leader of the band. I am a living legacy to the leader of the singing Jesus Take the Wheel, and we continue our celebration of the story of a song all show long. And my goodness, what a rendition, and what a star Carrie Underwood turned out to be. She got her launch in 2005 through American Idol, and people thought, oh, well, you know, good amateur singer. And then she just kept getting better. Go to Google, listen to her duet with Vince Gill. Also, the remarkable performance she did in a Broadway musical live. And she did The Sound of Music. And my goodness, even Julie Andrews would have said, wow, that girl can do it. And what a star she was. And here we're here to talk about her rendition of Jesus Take the Wheel. And it's a rendition because in country music, more often than not, the great songs are written by someone else. And in rock and roll, it's generally not the case. Generally, rock and rollers, they write their own stuff. I mean, they'll do a cover here and there. But their hits are theirs, almost always, almost always. And so it wasn't Carrie Underwood who wrote this song. And let's now dig in to the story of the person who did. So this song, Jesus Take the Wheel, was written by a guy named Brett James. And here he is talking about becoming a songwriter, his first guitar, and writing his first song. The very beginning for me started in Waco, Texas. I was a student at Baylor University. Any, any Baylor rights out there? And uh, I'd grown up singing in church and, and being around music. I came from a really musical family, but I didn't play an instrument. I didn't, never thought about writing songs. I'm from Oklahoma, as is Ryan and Randy Grimmett. Any Okies out there? Um, and growing up in Oklahoma, probably like where a lot of you guys are from, you know, becoming a songwriter is not on the list of professions that they give you when you enter high school. And so I didn't know my job existed, and so I didn't know that I could, I could go after it. Um, 
When I was 19, I asked for a, a guitar for Christmas. My mom bought me an $80 pawn shop guitar. It was a, called a Lincoln. It was a, nobody's probably ever heard, I'd never heard of a Lincoln. The action was about an inch and a half off the strings. I do remember that. <laughs> I, I then bought immediately uh, John Cougar Mellencamp's Scarecrow songbook because I already knew the album. And I thought, well, I can, most of these songs have three chords in them. I can probably learn these. So that's how I started learning guitar. And for me, the next step in the process was very simple. Uh, as soon as I learned those three chords, for whatever reason, it seemed natural for me to write a song. Um, and that wasn't something I even thought about or planned on. It just, I know these three chords. Why don't I write something that, that some girl down the street might like? And uh, so that's how it, that was kind of the beginning for me. And that's how it starts off for so many musicians. Self-taught, we learned this about Irving Berlin, taught himself everything from scratch. Brett talks about when he was a failed recording artist, the time he was, and decided to finally just let go. And it was then that he found eventual success. Sometimes something just pops into your head and, and don't ever, for me, it's like, don't ever count it out, you know? And, and no, no matter how simple you think it might be, sometimes simplicity wins the day. Quick lesson for me might to be, you know, sometimes when you let it go, sometimes when you're not pushing so hard, that's when, that's when kind of God just takes over. I, 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 my story is I was in Nashville, real quickly, uh, I got offered a record deal, my first trip to Nashville with Arista, was on Arista for seven years, seven years later, all that went away, I was a failed recording artist, and I went back to medical school, and I started back to medical school on September 1st, and I was 30 years old, and going to go be a doctor, but I was still writing songs, um, I'd given up my dream of being a songwriter, of being a, you know, I just, that's okay, that, I, I, get, I had a great shot, and, and it wasn't going to work out for me, uh, September 1st, I started med school. September 4th, Faith Hill cut one of my songs on the Breathe album. <laughs> I ended, okay. up, ended up with 33 more cuts in that nine months while I was going to med school every day. And the reason was because I kind of let go. I'd been in Nashville trying to push and trying to force and trying to fit my, what I did into their square hole, you know, or my round <laughs> songs into their square hole. And, you know, when I went back to med school, I said, screw it. I got a job. You know, I'm going to be a doctor. I can write whatever the heck I want. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write stuff I like. And I sort of let go. And that freedom that he found leaving his dream got him his dream. Go figure. And that happens a lot, too. Here, Brett James talks about writing the song we've been talking about, Jesus Take the Wheel, followed by his performance at an ASCAP songwriter showcase of the first verse and the chorus. You got a blank sheet of paper looking at you, and what are we going to put on it? And, uh... And, you know, so we kind of started tossing around some thoughts, and Gordy said, you know, I got, this, I got one idea for a, a title. It's called When Jesus Takes the Wheel. And I immediately laughed. I thought, well, that's about the silliest thing I ever heard. And Hillary kind of chuckled, and we kind of tried to get our heads around that for a minute and moved on to something else. What do you think? Well, let's, let's talk about some <laughs> other titles. That one, I'm not sure about that one. But fortunately, uh, 10 or 15 minutes later, we came back to uh, When Jesus Takes the Wheel, and uh, we wrote a little song about a girl driving to Cincinnati, and uh, ended up being called Jesus Take the Wheel. She was driving last Friday on her way to Cincinnati on a snow-white Christmas Eve. Going home to see her mama and her daddy with her baby in the backseat. Fifty miles to go when she was running low. Faith and gasoline It'd been a long, hard year She had a lot on her mind And she didn't pay attention She was going way too fast 
Before she knew what she was spinning on a thin black sheet of glass She saw both their lives flash before her eyes She didn't even have time to cry She was so scared She threw her hands up in the air Jesus, take the wheel and Take it from my hands Cause I can't do this on my own I'm letting go So give me one more chance And save me from this road Jesus, take the wheel And that's the first verse and chorus. And my sister's a professional songwriter, and she's always sent me snippets or lines that she wished she'd written. And the one on this one was 50 miles to go, she was running low on faith and gasoline. And those are little descriptors of that character and the thing that person's going through. It wasn't just that she hit a patch of ice. Her life had hit a patch of ice. And that's why she was asking Jesus to take the wheel. Now, you also heard Brett singing, and you could hear clearly why maybe Brett didn't make it as the singer-songwriter. But his God-given talents were in the writing, and my goodness, God-given talents of Carrie Underwood as a singer come to meet these two talents, and here is Carrie Underwood's take on this great song. When she made it to the shoulder and the car came to a stop She cried when she saw that baby in the backseat sleeping like a rock for the first time in a long time She bowed her head to pray She said, I'm sorry for the way I've been living my life I know I've got to change So from now on tonight Jesus, take the This is our American stories, Brett James, his story, and the story of how Jesus Take the Wheel came to be, and Carrie Underwood takes us away. And we continue with our American stories, and we love to talk about music here on this show. 
and we love to tell stories of a song. And this next one, well, Jesse brings us The Keeper by Chris Cornell. It's a story of redemption that blends the secular and the divine. While this is a story of redemption, some of the subject matter might be inappropriate for young listeners. Let's take a listen. The Keeper was written by Chris Cornell for a film called Machine Gun Preacher, which is based on the true story of Sam Childers, a former outlaw biker who travels to East Africa to help the children of Sudan. I come from far away My boots don't know this ground But they know it's real It doesn't take too long For this road to become Battlefield And before I let one more fire go out Understand that I won't give one inch of ground From beneath yours and my feet Whatever the price happens to be I may not be the keeper of the flame But I am the keeper. Here's Chris Cornell on writing the song for the film, Machine Gun Preacher. So I read the script, loved it, um, was really intrigued by the story, the the scope of the story, because it's about a a Pennsylvania biker, meth head criminal um, who then finds sobriety, becomes born again, builds a church, and then becomes the pastor of that church because he can't find anyone else to do it. And then ends up on a uh, just kind of a missionary trip, goes to the Sudan and decides uh, that he wants to go out into the, the real areas where some of this violence happens. And while he's there, um, uh, something bad does happen. Machine gun preacher Sam Childers grew up in the hills of Pennsylvania. His parents were decent, honest people, but at an early age, Sam had skills at getting into trouble. I had the best parents. I had middle-class parents, uh, born-again Christian parents, never seen my dad ever drink, uh, you know, drugs or beat my mom or anything like that. They were, they were very cool parents. But, you know, I believe I was like a lot of children. We see other people smoking you know, maybe smoking marijuana, maybe drinking alcohol, and we think it looks cool, and we think it's going to make us look older. So at a very young age, 11 years old, I wanted to look cool. I wanted 13-year-old girls and 14-year-old girls to notice me. So I thought to do that, I had to smoke cigarettes. So I started smoking cigarettes, then I went to smoking marijuana. 12 years old, I wanted to look like I was 15 years old, you know. So I started uh, experimenting with other drugs and pills and stuff and alcohol. 13 years old, I'm doing more. 14 years old, snorting coke and everything. 15 years old, I didn't care if anyone noticed me at all. I had a drug addiction. I left home before I was 16, you know. So finally it got to the point my dad knew I had a bad problem and He told me one day, and you know, a lot of parents think he was wrong, but my dad done the right thing. He said, boy, you either leave the drugs out of this house 
or don't come back in. So I left home uh, right before my 16th birthday. And at that time, you know, I thought I was, you know, I didn't really care about how old I thought I was because I had a drug addiction. I'm putting a needle in my arm every day, shooting up heroin and, you know, just getting high constantly. And then I started selling drugs, not a little bit, but a lot, you know. It kept getting deeper and deeper. I went as far off as you could go into that world. And then I became what they called a shotgunner. It's like a hired gun for drug deal. Almost like the security guy to make sure that, you know, everything goes good. And finally, I was living in Orlando, Florida at the time. And uh, went out to a bar one night, got into a bad bar fight. And guns come out and people got shot and people got beat up bad. And I almost got killed. I almost got killed that night, and on the way home, I said, I'm done living this life. You know, I believe in rehabs, okay? I believe rehabs help. Uh, I believe AA, all them programs help. But bottom line, if you got an addiction, it's right here is what's going to get you out of it. You got to make up your mind, I'm done. And that night on the way home, I made my mind up. I walked in the house when I got home, I told my wife, we're moving. My wife was looking for a way out. She was just, she had that hope that that moment would come that I would walk in and say, we're out of here. We moved over a thousand miles away. My wife starts going to church. I knew what God was because I was raised in a Christian family, but I started getting angry with God. My wife's going to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek, you know. It was two years later till I walked into a church and said, God, here I am. Now keep in mind, I let everyone know this, I'm not a Bible thumper, okay? I love Jesus Christ because he's the one that done miracles in my life. And I'm what they call a freedom fighter. So I fight for the freedom that every man and every woman around the world can choose who they want to serve. You want to serve Allah, you want to serve Buddha, I fight for that freedom. You don't want to believe at all, I fight for that freedom. But me and my family, we choose to serve Jesus Christ. You know, there's many ways to get success in life, okay? Many different ways. I got all of my success only because of Jesus Christ. Sam began to live a clean life. Things began to change for the better. His wife, Lynn, gave birth to a healthy baby girl, and Sam started his own construction business. Little did they know that their greatest challenge was just around the corner. In 1998, Sam arrived in the village of Ye, South Sudan. The African nation was in the midst of the Second Sudanese War. And Sam, urged by his pastor in America, had joined a mission group to help repair huts damaged in the conflict. I went on a five-week mission trip and seen the body of a small child that stepped on a landmine. And I stood over that body and I said, God, I'll do whatever it takes to help these people. So I went back into Sudan, Africa, supported the people, helped the people, many different ways, pulling landmines out for about a year and a half. Then I started a mobile clinic. I run it for about a year and a half. And then I started the actual orphanage, which is called World Mission Shekinah Fellowship Orphanage in Children's Village in South Sudan. Which is where Sam Childers got his nickname. Machine Gun Preacher. When I started the orphanage, it was started at a time where we would slash grass and we'd do the building with an AK either sitting there or strapped over our back. A lot of the natives would come by and they'd say, this guy is a preacher. And others would say, 
well, he's got a machine gun. And they'd say, well, he's the machine gun preacher. Which is where Hollywood picked up on the story, made the movie, and inspired Chris Cornell to write the song, The Keeper. The, the song itself, to me, was a, a perspective where I, I can't say I've had these experiences. I'm not him. Um, I'm not uh, a Sudanese child who's had its family kidnapped or, or murdered. I haven't been mistreated in that way. I don't live with that kind of fear. So um, other than sympathetically, how could I write the song? And the song came from the perspective of if Sam Childers, for example, were a songwriter, what would he write and what would he sing to these kids? Um, and that's where the idea for The Keeper came from. The story of a song, the story of Sam Childers, Machine Gun Preacher, right here on Our American Stories. Beauty and truth collide Where love meets genocide Where laughter meets fear Confusing all around As I try to feel these mouths That have never known singing Riders on the storm Into this house we're born Into this world we're thrown Like a dog without a bone And actor out alone Riders on the storm This is Our American Stories And we often bring you the story of a song We've covered dozens of them on this show, and you can hear them all at OurAmericanNetwork.org, Another Brick in the Wall, There Goes My Life, Jesus Take the Wheel, Georgia on My Mind, and Light My Fire by the Doors. And now we bring you another Doors song story, and it's told by Ray Manzarek, best known as the keyboardist and founding member of the Doors with Jim Morrison. Sitting at his Rhodes keyboard, Manzarek demonstrates here the creation of Riders on the Storm like the masterful musician that he was. So one day we're jamming in the studio, I mean in our rehearsal studio, in the Doors workshop before, uh, we, got, uh, before we started recording. And uh, for some reason or another, Robbie was playing his twain guitar. And we were doing a old cowpoke went riding out on dark and windy day. And the Jim said, I got lyrics for that. I got lyrics for that. And he had uh, Riders on the Storm. Riders on the Storm. And I said, wait, wait, okay, that's great, man. Riders on the Storm. We can't, but we can't do, to, we can't do Vaughn Monroe. Or the old cowpoke went riding out one dark and windy day. So I said, let me see what I can do with this. And here's what I came up with. 
We got to put some jazz to it. Make it dark. And sure enough, this is what happened. But before we get to that, oh, oh, oh Jerry Chef's there when he, when he comes in, we've got the whole thing together. And Jerry Chef says, "What's the bass line?" I said, "Like simple." E minor, A major. He said, oh man, that's impossible. I said, what? For you? That's not impossible. Let's, look at this. It's like nothing to it. And he said, uh-uh. That's, that's on the piano, right? That's on the keyboard. Sure, that works great on the keyboard. There's nothing to it. Watch this on the bass guitar. And I don't know what the hell he did. He had to go through machinations, like turning his wrist up virtually upside down, inside out, trying to play it. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, man, but it sounds so good. And it's so easy on the keyboard that you got to play this. And he went, okay, okay, I'll play it. And here's the rain part. Thunder. After we finished the song, he said, oh man, I've got super rain and thunder. It's riders on the storm. It's raining on the desert, right? Yeah, exactly, Bruce, raining on the desert. He said, we've got to put in some, uh, some rain and thunder. So sure enough, I mean, the whole thing starts with... And then that bass line. Another one. Ender Morrison. Riders on the stone. Riders on the stone. Into this house we're born. Into this world we're thrown. Like a dog without a bone. Actor out on loan, riders on the storm. So it's basically a blues song. It's a one, four, five, except we change the five. And this insane part that Morrison sings, there's a killer on the road. Brain is squirming like a toad. Take a long holiday Let your children play If you give this man a ride Sweet family will die Killer on the road Yeah, Robbie And we're listening to the one, the only Ray Manzarek, founding member of The Doors As he walks us through the creation Of this masterpiece Riders on the Storm, which was released in June of 1971. Ray goes on to give some vivid insights to the haunting lyrics crafted by Morrison. And again, this is why we love telling these stories. You're hearing it from 
Manzarek himself taking us into the song, taking us into the DNA, into the coding of this song. And by the way, you don't hear music like this in a mixture of jazz and blues and country western and all mashed together in this creative and almost brilliant way. And what a story Morrison's telling. He's really putting you in a place. And so let's continue with Ray Manzarek. And then Jim sings, Girl, you gotta love your man. Girl, you gotta love your man. Take him by the hand. Make him understand. His world on you depends. Our life will never end. Gotta love your man. He had the idea to make a movie about a hitchhiking killer. And that's, if you give this man a ride, sweet family will die, killer on the road. But he couldn't, he couldn't leave it at that. He couldn't, the song was just too haunted and too beautiful. And almost, almost as if he had a premonition. And certainly, he knew he, at this point, singing this vocal, he knew that he was going to Paris. You know, he knew he was going to Paris. He hadn't told anybody before we did this vocal, but he knew he was going to Paris. And he was singing his love to Pam and trying to wipe out in his mind and on the planet that killer on the road. So he says, girl, you gotta love your man. Girl, you gotta love your man. Take him by the hand. Make him understand. His world on you depends. Our life will never end. What a great line that is. I mean, isn't that the ultimate love? His world on you depends. Our life will never end. Gotta love your man. Girl, you gotta love your man. Keyboard solo. Thunder. Then Densmore kicks it in again. We're back on the highway. Riders on the stone. Jim's back in. 
Riders on the storm Into this house we're born Into this world we're thrown Like a dog without a bone An actor out on loan Riders on the storm Robbie plays some great guitar Jim and that haunted voice Riders on the stone Riders on the stone And what a performance. You just want it to not stop, actually. And that's what we do here in Our American Stories. The story of a song. That's Ray Manzarek. Riders on the Storm. And again, go to ouramericannetwork.org to listen to all that we do. And particularly our stories of a song. It's one of our favorite regular regular features. Another Brick in the Wall. There Goes My Life. George on My Mind. Light My Fire. And many many others and again thanks to Ray Manzarek for that instruction it's like it's like going to school but the kind of school you wish you'd had in your life but never did and so we leave where we started this is our american stories <laughs>